Spiritual dullness in a community of Christ-like disciple-makers might be hard to imagine, but it happens all the time. We can lull ourselves to sleep, lose our gospel edge, and before long, we are ticking the Christian boxes without thinking. And if the practice continues, we will replace the meat we enjoyed with the milk of our former newborn babe life. The solution is to surround yourself with those who have a vision and a plan to spur you to loving good works within a reciprocating community. If you are fighting off the temptations, the slow lull to sleep of of dullness, then I have something special for you. For those of you who are doing the work of disciple making, well, I'm sure there are people within your spheres that you can help uh, because they are struggling just this way. Uh, We can get into the mundane rut of life and we can forget some of the essentials and before long we we wake up, our eyes are open and we realize that dullness has, has come all over us and so I want to talk about that in this podcast. Hello everyone, this is Rick Thomas. You're listening to the Life Over Coffee podcast. The title of this podcast is how to resist the incremental reality of becoming a dull believer. This is an article, a couple thousand words. If you want to read it, please jump on our ministry's website, and that is the title of it, How to Resist Dullness. Let's go. I want to begin this podcast by talking about our children. When they were young, particularly, our children have always naturally gravitated toward their peer group. Uh, we had a cul-de-sac full of kids once upon a time. There, there may have been anywhere from 10 to 15 of these kids that were eight years old and younger, and they gravitated to each other. Summertime was the best time where they spent most of their days outside uh, finding fun and, and doing wonderful kid stuff and making these memories. And they find much joy hanging with kids their age, and they have they have always had many contexts where they spend time with what I call same-age friends. Now, what they don't do naturally is gravitate toward those much older and why than they are. They're not necessarily knocking on the neighbor's doors and wanting to hang out with the adults in the room. Of course, Lucia and I realized this, and so we found it wise and we found it practical to intentionally connect our children with the adults in our lives who loved God and those adults helped. They supplemented our parental oversight and care. This method of spending time with folks more knowledgeable, maturer, and wiser has proven helpful in teaching our children how to relate well with each other and the culture. There were two fundamental reasons we made this part of our, this aspect, this perspective, part of our practice. Firstly, we knew that our children would not be young forever. And they would be adults for many decades. And so our thought was that if most of their lives were in the adult world, which probably will, statistically speaking, then learning how to live according to who they will be, who they should be for most of their lives is wise. When do you want to instruct your children about being adults? After they become one. I would not recommend that. 
uh, when they are 20, it's like, now I want to teach you how to hang out with adults and, and how to be one. Now, we decided to begin prelim- preliminary instruction before our children entered adulthood. Now we're looking at all this in the rearview mirror because our children are adults, and it was wise. It was the right thing to do. And secondly, we did not want the blind leading the blind, meaning I didn't want all the kids in the cul-de-sac being the primary mentors in our children's lives. Many years ago, a friend of mine told me that he didn't want, quote, any five-year-old teaching his five-year-old anything. He was not a proponent of peer-to-peer discipleship, especially among five-year-olds. And he proved to be a wise man. His practice was to make sure his children had adequate time with adults, similar to ours, ours where they could learn from those who were further down the road than his five-year-old's. This perspective has been our practice. And while I want our children to enjoy their peers, I want them to learn about life from God-centered, gospel-motivated adults. I don't want them to be slow-boil believers who drift into a dullness that later hardens them to the faith. That's why we always wanted to connect them to adults who loved God. This idea of the slow-boil Christian, there are reasons that happens, and the context or the text that I'm thinking about specifically is in Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. I want to share this passage with you because it's so important to what I'm going to share in the remainder of the podcast. In Hebrews 5, 11 through 14, the Hebrew writer said, about this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you'd need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You'd need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. You've heard the story about the frog who jumped into the warm kettle of water. The tale suggests that as the water increases in temperature, the frog is the last to know. As the frog continues to acclimate proportionally to the increased heat, it unwittingly boils itself to death. The claim is that the frog's body adjusted along the way. Now, this is not a true story. It is a tale that's been told and spun so many times that it has become true. You can Google that if you wish. But it does make a great illustration. Some churches can be this way. Some Christians can be this way. They live in the slow grind of day-to-day church life. Everyone has a zillion things to do. They become used to the plates falling in the kitchen as well as folks falling through the cracks. 
some people are challenging to deal with anyhow, speaking from a pastoral perspective. These churches and these church folk do not realize the accumulative effect of sweeping things under the rug or kicking the can down the road. The church that does not deal with its problems rightly and promptly will experience the slow drift from the clarity of God's word. One, way, one day, the church collectively will awaken to realize how things would have never been tolerated in the past are a usual way of life today. If you're part of that church, then rather than looking at the church collectively that is marching toward dullness like the frog in the kettle, think about yourself. There is a solution if dullness is beginning to take over your life, or if it already has. I want to give you four practical ideas that will help you from getting to that place of dullness, as the Hebrew writer says, for by though this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. And so I want to give you four ideas that will help you to resist dullness, to be a vibrant Christian, specifically contextualized in your local church. Those four things are, number one, reciprocal care. Number two, reciprocal confession. Number three, reciprocal practice. And number four, reciprocal repentance. Let's take the first one first, reciprocal care. A small group of friends can spiral into a superficial context where people are not doing real transparent life together. The talkers do all the talking and nobody ever challenges the quiet people to grow. There can be steady toleration of superficiality that never gets into the nitty-gritty of each other's lives. The leader must sharpen the scalpel of the Lord's word while asking God to provide the competence and the courage and the compassion to wield it appropriately among his friends. This responsibility is mutual and reciprocal. And that's why I attached each one of these action items with the word reciprocal. It's not just care and confession and practice and repentance, but it's reciprocal care, reciprocal confession, reciprocal practice, and reciprocal repentance. Everyone must have as their goal to be intentionally intrusive in each other's lives. You want to consider and confront and comfort one another in the context of trust and truth and lack of judgment. Spurring one another on to loving good works is a biblical notion that must go beyond a lovely idea. Practically caring for one another is a New Testament mandate. Now, I am not suggesting that a formalized small group setting envisioned and directed by the church is the only way to do life together. It matters not to me if you're in a small group, formalized group of the local church. It matters if you have a friend or two reciprocating in your life. It hardly matters if the church values and develops small group dynamics and practices, but every believer must have at least one other believer speaking into his or her life. 
You want a Paul-like person helping you grow and mature into a follower of Christ. The non-transparent church or the non-transparent church person will not live this kind of robust Christian life. The title of this podcast is How to Resist the Incremental Reality of Becoming a Dull Believer. Point number one is reciprocal care. Whether it is a formalized group of believers in a small group context in the local church, or at least just one friend. Now, I am aware that some of you listening to this podcast are saying right now, I don't have the church like this, and I don't have a friend like this. Well, you have us in a supplemental way. There are a lot of people who communicate to us on a regular basis, and we have become a supplemental friend. In the meantime, we are not a replacement for the local church. That is not what we are building here. We want to be supplemental to the local church. All roads lead to the local church. We want to help people to get there, and we want these churches. We want to help these churches to be as I am describing in this podcast. But if you find your place in no man's land where you don't have neither church or friend, then let us walk with you, even if it's in an interim time until we can get you or help you or walk with you until you get into a better place. And so number one is reciprocal care to resist dullness. Number two is reciprocal confessions. Brother James told us that we should confess our sins to each other. That's in 516. Something is freeing, rewarding, and binding about this kind of relationship with an appropriate and trusted friend. And it's important to modify it that way. An appropriate and trusted friend. You don't confess to anyone and everyone. This is not a place for social media broadcasting, but you want to find someone who can steward your truth, an appropriate and trusted friend. And when you have that person, it is freeing. It is rewarding. It's binding as well. This human-to-human need does beg the question, who in your life can you confess your sins and struggles to so you can benefit from a more in-depth experience in the body of Christ? Most people do not want others to have this kind of intel about their lives. And so it's not just trying to find an appropriate and trusted friend. It's also about dealing with the risk factor when you step upon the waters of vulnerability. The problem is that you can do many things by yourself, but sanctification is not one of those things. There are too many one another phrases in the New Testament for the believer to put forth an argument to isolate from other brothers and sisters in Christ. To live well in a community of Christ-like disciple-makers require that we move beyond living behind a facade of ourselves, hoping others would find that carefully edited version of ourselves more accepted than the real people that we know ourselves to be. There must be a default to truth, which implies a default to trans- a transparent mentality about the Christian life. That has to be our default. Default to truth, to want to live in truth, walk in truth, communicate truth, have truth tellers around us. We have to have that default to truth. What is your other option? 
default to isolation, default to privacy, default to hidden struggles. Though there are inherent risk in being honest with folks, it's far better to attempt building those relationships than the persistent shrinking into the darkness and loneliness of a life that drains your soul of the hope you should have in Christ. Point number one, reciprocal care, whether formalized or not. Point number two, reciprocal confessions to appropriate friends. Point number three, reciprocal practicing. Another typical dysfunction in today's church is the excessive number of ministry leaders who have poor marriages. They counsel others, they lead Bible studies, they pastor our churches, but they do not model or present their marriages as a working illustration of what the Bible teaches. Rather than running their marriages through the filter of God's Word and realizing they need help, they either do not see their broken marriage as a problem, or these pastors accept that it is on par with, with the others that they know. The domain of the hypocrite is not an exclusive place where the congregate can inhabit. There is also a temptation to preach but not practice. It is easier to tell someone what to do than to practice what you preach. I mean, isn't that the parent trap? We get on our kids for getting angry, not realizing our sinful anger at them disqualifies us from being helpful disciple makers. Now, I am not suggesting these leaders or followers should have perfect marriages, It's not about having a perfect marriage. That is impossible because it's two sinners living in a box until Jesus returns, until one of them dies. It's not about having a perfect marriage, but it's about the trajectory of your marriage. Is your marriage moving toward Christ-likeness, or is there a gap growing between your marriage and who Christ wants us to be? We must be honest about the state of our relationships, and we should request help from those who can come alongside us this way. Several years ago, I was part of a local church that had a disconnect between what the pastors did for a living, pastoring, and what the lives they lived inside their homes, their marriages. It was not willful deceit, and I do want you to hear that clearly. They, quite simply, had not considered the connection between marriage and ministry. Now, as I began to talk with the senior pastor about this, he listened humbly and and promptly talked to the right people, elders, I would imagine, and they created a policy that stated if any leader has marriage problems, they have options. They can get help to work on their marriage or they can find another job, and some lost their jobs. They did not expect perfect marriages, but honesty and a plan to change were requirements for this church's staff. Absolutely amazing and totally commendable that this pastor would listen and then lead the organization that, hey, it's not about perfect marriages, but it's about trajectories. We cannot have growing gaps between who we say we are and who we represent ourselves to be in the public space, like on Sunday morning, and who we are in the private space, like in our marriages, in our 
homes, reciprocal practicing. And then point number four is reciprocal repentance. A significant aspect of the gospel is the defeating of sin. The father butchered his son on the cross because of my sin and yours. The father put his most profound wrath upon his son. The sinless son willingly chose to experience something he had never experienced before. I do not fully understand the depth of what I am saying, and I I am still growing in clarity of God's glorious gospel. But what I do know is that sin is grave. I also know that Christ conquered sin, and any person who has been born again can experience freedom from their ongoing sin and sinful habituations. There are at least two profound beneficial truths that we can tease out of this gospel worldview. Firstly, Christ defeated sin. Therefore, there is no reason for any Christian to choose to keep their sin secret. And secondly, Christ defeated sin, so why would any Christian allow another believer to continue in their sinful habituations? Not responding biblically to these two points, whether it's about our lives or someone else's, is as logical as a doctor standing beside a patient but refusing to do anything about the patient's problems. I want to fight the dullness in my life. Just as I intentionally, just as we intentionally placed our children with adults so they do not live in a myopic, hermetically sealed five-year-old world, I also want to make sure that I filter what I believe in practice through the lens of God's word rather than the status quo. I appeal to you to fight dullness too. Do not allow yourself or your friends to descend to levels of dullness that the Word of God would never condone. Ask the Spirit of God to help you filter your life, your marriage, your friends, your ministry through the grid of the Word of God. Do not filter your life through the lens of what everyone else is doing, especially slow-boiling peers. Be different. Resist dullness. You can if you continue to exercise your powers of discernment and practice. Going back to just one sentence that I read to you earlier from uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, the Hebrew writer said this, but solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. You're listening to the Life Over Coffee podcast. I'm Rick Thomas. So glad that you are here. The title of this podcast is How to Resist the Incremental Reality of Becoming a Dull Believer. I gave you four challenges. One, reciprocal care, where you're in a context of friends who are mutually caring for each other. And again, if you don't have that friend, let us walk alongside you during the interim until hopefully you can find that place sometime in your future. Number one, to fight off dullness, reciprocal care. Number two, reciprocal confessions. As you share your sins and your struggles with another, 
competent, appropriate, trusted friend. There is something freeing, rewarding, and binding about those types of confessional relationships, reciprocal confessions. Number three, reciprocal practicing, that there's no dichotomy between Uh, the life that you live in the public space and the life that you live in the private space, but you are practicing the gospel in your life wherever you are, public or private. And then reciprocal repentance. We have the ability, because of the transformative gospel, to be able to not only confess our sins, which is one aspect of repentance, But we can do more than that. We can put it off. We can renew our minds, and we can put on Christ. And we can do more than that. Full repentance is when we're going out and making disciples. We go on from the self-centered life to the other-centered life, and that is the 180-degree turnaround or full repentance. As you have been listening to this podcast, what is a primary takeaway that you have heard What did you learn, or more importantly, what is your plan to change? Perhaps you didn't learn anything, because most people don't. I'm speaking primarily to a Christian audience, and so at best, we, we give reminders. It's not like new information. Maybe it's a turn of phrase. Maybe it's a different way of saying it, but you're not necessarily learning anything, but you're reminded of something, and that's why I say, more importantly, If there is a need to change, what is your plan to change? Now, what I would encourage you to do is not just think about it, not just reflect upon it, not not just pray about it. Those things are essential. But be specific about how you can change. Be practical. Be determined. And then share it with a friend to hold you accountable for that change, whatever that action item may be. Who is that person you believe is the most appropriate to be a reciprocal friend to you? As I have said often, every Timothy needs a Paul. Who is that Paul-type person in your life? You don't need a dozen of these friends, but you must have at least one. Would you be willing to share this podcast or share the article of this podcast with them, sit with them, do life over coffee? Discuss how you can spur each other on to loving good deeds. Perhaps you want to start sharing some of your inner struggles. Maybe you want to set the example and step out on those waters of vulnerability. If this is not your practice, I would would appeal to you to go slow. Build the habit of sharing your true self consistently with the right person. This kind of communication, again, must be reciprocal, and that's why I added the modifier to each one of my my four points. Is there any relational context in your life where your preaching and practice is incongruent, whether you are a preacher or not? You know what I'm saying. Is there any place where there's an incongruency between what you say and what you do? If that is true, what is your specific and practical plan to change? And then finally, will you pray about someone who needs this kind of care in their lives? Perhaps they are heading towards spiritual dullness. What is your plan to connect and care for them 
Maybe it is in your local church. Maybe you want to pray about connecting with them this Sunday and start building that relational bridge that can go to a wonderful place between you two. How to resist the incremental reality of becoming a dull believer. If you would like to talk to us about this particular podcast and the article, would you come to our ministry's website? It's easy to do. Our team is ready, willing, and able to serve you. We are a monologue ministry, which is what this podcast is, but we're also a dialogue ministry, and so we want to interact with you. Because of our financial supporters, people who underwrite this ministry, we are able to give all of these resources away. Regardless of the platform, if it's Facebook or iTunes, if it's Podbean or SoundCloud, or if it's our ministry website, every week we are reaching thousands of people through video, YouTube, Vimeo, through audio, the podcast platforms, there's half a dozen or more of them, or the articles that we write that we send out on LinkedIn and Facebook, we're reaching thousands of people every week with the practical message of Jesus Christ. But because we're allowed to do this freely, to provide this freely, our financial supporters who underwrite this, we also have active, engaging forums. And so if you have something on your mind that you're struggling with, whether it's spiritual dullness or maybe you have that dull person in your life that you want to serve, then let us come alongside you. We would love to engage you about that. Maybe you have something completely different on your mind. We would love to engage you about that as well. Just fill out your username, get your username and your password. That is the one one hurdle that keeps our uh, website safe and secure. We have a super safe website. And so you get your free username and your free password, and let's talk. Thank you so much for listening. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.